0: Like I, I
1: pledge allegiance to the flag of the United
0: States of America, and to the republic for which it stands the stands the stands one nation, We are in week number two of our Under God series of sermons where we're looking at the Pledge of Allegiance through the lens of the Scriptures. Last week we said that as the followers of Jesus, we are to be one nation. We're more than just average, everyday Americans. The Apostle Peter put it like this. He said, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. And then the Apostle Paul went a step further and said that we are also God's ambassadors, the highest-ranking diplomats on behalf of heaven pleading to the people around us, come back to God. We said that because we represent Jesus in this world, we should be determined to bring God's kingdom to earth just as it is in heaven. Today we're going to focus on the part of the pledge that says, Under God. Now, you may know this, and maybe you don't, but uh, this Under God part of the Pledge wasn't, wasn't in the original Pledge of Allegiance that was written in 1887. It wasn't until 1954 that Under God was included in the Pledge of Allegiance, and it was clu- included by uh, President Dwight Eisenhower to uh, respond to the growing uh, threat of communism around the world. The question that I I want us to wrestle with this morning is how do we live under God in a culture that is becoming more and more hostile toward God? Are we more under the influence of culture or under the influence of God? And the kind of of way I want to do that is uh, on a scale of one to 10, I'm going to give you a handful of uh, areas that you might consider so that we can add some specificity to this. So like area number one, like entertainment, right? Do the books that we read The shows that we watch on TV, the movies that we go see in the theater, the the songs that we listen to on the radio, do we consider whether they are pleasing to God and and honor Him before we enjoy them? Or do we give much thought to it at all? Do we mindlessly consume whatever comes along? Are we under culture or are we under God? How about with our our money? When you work hard and, and you get paid for your efforts, do you stop to recognize the fact that God has blessed you and that your money is actually His money and you are to steward it responsibly in a way that honors Him? Are we intentional and thoughtful with our money so that we can use it to be a blessing to others, or are we on the other end of the spectrum where our money is ours and we're just looking for the next cool thing to spend it on? Are we under culture or are we under God? How about this? Uh, What about our speech? Think about the the things that you've said over the last few days or maybe over the last week. Have you built people up or have you torn people down? Have you gossiped or talked about folks behind their backs? Have you used words in your house that you wouldn't want your two-year-old to use? What about your time? Have you spent more time with God in prayer and studying the Scriptures than you have on Facebook or at the gym, or watching Netflix? Is your family racing from one activity to the the next, from, from baseball to swimming to soccer to karate to scouts to band or whatever else? And not that any of these are bad. These are all maybe great things. I'm not knocking them. But would you say that your time is more reflective of being under God or under culture are these kinds of things on your calendar, and you will pencil God in when you can, if time allows? How about this? What about where you draw your value and self-worth? Do you rest in what God has done for you in Jesus, or do you wrestle with who culture labels you to be, and your value, your identity comes from what others say about you, rather than what Jesus has done for you. Your identity, under God or under culture. And here's the tricky thing about this survey that we're kind of doing this morning. And if you've ever been drunk or been around someone who is drunk, you'll kind of see what I mean. When you're under the influence of, of, let's say, alcohol, your judgment gets impaired, right? When you drink alcohol... Uh, the things that you typically wouldn't think are funny suddenly become funny. People who wouldn't maybe necessarily be attractive, well, your perspective changes and suddenly they are attractive. Right? Too much alcohol changes the way we see the world. This is why it's against the law to drink if you've had too much of it. The same occurs when we are under the influence of our culture we can become so under the influence of culture that our judgment becomes impaired and we don't even realize how under the influence we actually are? What if we've become so intoxicated by our culture that we don't realize how far we've drifted from God? Wouldn't that be kind of scary? the Old Testament, the Jewish people had drifted from God. The Israelites had begun living like everyone else. They began taking advantage of one another. They ignored the laws that God had blessed them with to protect them. And they even started worshiping false gods, pagan idols. Enter the Babylonians and King Nebuchadnezzar. They arrived in Jerusalem in about 600 B.C. And the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar, they were ruthless the army uh, that ha- they had conquered most of the ancient Near East and Israel fell to Babylon as well. But the Babylonian invasion was actually something that was set in motion by God as punishment because Israel had become corrupt and evil. They, get this, they were supposed to represent God before the nations. But what they had actually done by their lawlessness and disobedience, as they made God a laughingstock to the nations. 2 Kings chapter 24, verse 2, kind of tells the tale. It says this, "...the Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against Him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by His servants, the prophets." Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. Nebuchadnezzar's army throttled Israel and captured the nation's best and brightest to take back to Babylon. It's during this time of captivity or this time of exile that our passage this morning really picks up. And what we're going to see is while uh, he is living in Babylon, a young man named Daniel had every cultural temptation stacked against him, but he was determined to live under God. What Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians wanted to do with Israel's best and brightest was to wipe them clean like hard drives on a computer and then upload Babylonian software uh, to them. You see, reprogramming the best and brightest of Israel meant greater security for the Babylonians and uh, help kind of governing, ruling the rest of the nations. The idea was this, behave like us and become one of us so you can help us govern our empire. Daniel Chapter 1, verse 3, picks up where we're going to be spending our time together this morning. It says this, Then the king, who is Nebuchadnezzar, ordered Ashpenaz, chief of the court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter into the king's service. Now you might read this passage, and you might say, Well this doesn't really sound that bad. Right? You you might read this passage and just ask, Well really, what's what's the big deal? They get to learn a foreign language, and they get to eat food right off the king's table. If this is captivity, sign me up. But but here's the thing. Daniel and the Jewish exiles had strict instructions on what they could eat and what they would not eat. You see, there were some foods that the Jewish people would not eat because God said that it would make them spiritually unclean. On top of that, Eating food directly from the king's table no doubt meant that they were eating food that was sacrificed to idols and pagan gods, which was an absolute no-no for the Jewish people. And so Daniel and anyone else who wanted to live under God, this was a non-starter. Again, Babylon is trying to reprogram these captives to live under Nebuchadnezzar rather than under God. The Babylonians wanted to reshape their identity to better control them. And verse 6 and 7 offer another example of their attempts to do this. Verse 6 says this, Among those who were chosen were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mizael and Azariah. The chief official gave them new names, to Daniel, the name Belteshazzar, to Hananiah, Shadrach, to Mizael, Meshach, and to Azariah, Abednego. By changing the names of these exiles, Babylon sought to further reshape their identity. You see, their Hebrew names were loaded with meaning. The meaning of Daniel is, God is my judge. Hananiah, God is gracious. Muzahel, who is like God. And Azariah, God has helped me. Their Babylonian names were loaded with significance as well. You see, Belteshazzar, the name that was given to Daniel, means, Bel protects his life. Shadrach, command of the moon god. Meshach, who is what Aku is, and Abednego means servant of Nabu. Nabu was the wisdom god of the Babylonians and Nebuchadnezzar's favorite god. These boys' names were changed as a way of encouraging them to forget the traditions and god of their homeland and conform to the gods of Babylon. This was a way of forcing assimilation upon them. And Nebuchadnezzar wanted Daniel and his friends to conform to the pattern of this world, like we see in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And the name change was just another step that direction. Nebuchadnezzar understood that if he could change what the exiles believed, he could ultimately change how they behaved. We too have an enemy And he's declared war against God and therefore against the people of God. The scriptures tell us he seeks only to steal and kill and destroy. I think the enemy is just as pleased when we are complacent about our relationship with God as he is when we turn our backs on God altogether. Our enemy wants us to live under culture rather than under God. Satan is leveraging popular culture to impact the way that we think. To change what we believe so that we will behave in a way that defiles ourselves and dishonors the God of heaven. Because I believe that this is true, we cannot passively follow Jesus. We can't settle for half-hearted discipleship. Why? Well, we can't think about it like this. We can't halfway get into shape, right? We can't be halfway committed to our spouses, right? I mean, can I eat one meal per week or go to the gym once or twice a month and expect to get into shape? It hasn't worked so far. Or, or what about this? Can I love and respect my wife for one or two nights a week and, and phone it in for the rest of the time? Would it be acceptable for me to be committed to my wife for six nights of the week, but on the seventh night I do whatever I want with whomever I want? I don't know how that would work at your house, but it would not work at mine. Okay, there are some things that you can't partially commit to. We either are or we aren't. With Jesus, we can't ride the fence. We will either be under culture or we will be under God. Remember what Jesus said to the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verses 15 and 16? He said, I know your deeds, that you're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Since we can't halfway follow Jesus, and we recognize that we can't settle for lukewarm faith, we should strive to live under God. But the question is, well, how do we do that? Verse 8, but Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. See, there are some things that Daniel was willing to go along to get along. It seems that the, the name thing for Daniel w- was something he was willing to compromise on, right? And compromise has kind of become a dirty word, especially uh, in, our, in, in the area of politics in, in America, which, which is kind of a shame, right? But as far as Daniel was concerned, It looks like he was willing to compromise on this. It seems that Daniel was so confident in his identity, that he was so rooted in his relationship with God that it didn't matter what others said about him or what others called him. But on the issue of eating unclean meat and food that had been sacrificed to idols, Daniel wasn't willing to go there. He resolved not to defile himself in this way. If we're going to faithfully... Live under God, we have got to decide ahead of time where we are going to draw our lines. If we wait until we're in the thick of battle, we're going to find ourselves in deep trouble. We need to resolve now what we are unwilling to do that will defile ourselves and erode away our commitment to living under God. If you're unmarried, maybe a line that you draw that you're just not going to cross is you're not going to be alone with your boyfriend or girlfriend at home when there's nobody else there. Or maybe if you have an addictive personality, maybe the line you draw is you're never going to have one drink. All right? Or perhaps if you're prone to binge-watching Netflix, maybe the line in the sand you draw is one hour or two episodes of a show. All right? If you're prone to cutting people down on social media, maybe the line you draw in the sand is you just don't post anymore. Or you only post things that are going to build people up. Or, or maybe you only post the words of Jesus. Now, wouldn't that be kind of crazy to see? Maybe if, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you have no margin in your finances, perhaps it's time to draw a line in the sand and commit to putting together a budget where you can give to God your first and best, save for the future, and then just live on the rest. The followers of Jesus need to have lines in the sand, and resolve not to cross them, because they understand that following Jesus isn't a half-hearted endeavor. Verse 8 continues, it says, and he asked, talking about Daniel, the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. This is so important, and we, we can't miss it. God caused the official to show favor to Daniel. When we resolve to honor God and live under his influence, God won't leave us hanging. Right? He, like, it's the same way with, with our own children. When they do something that honors us, we love them and we want to reward them. And God will do the same. Daniel didn't run from culture. He stood his ground and chose to influence it. The official asked Phinez, he was concerned about the consequences of disobeying Nebuchadnezzar by allowing these Jewish guys to abstain from eating the Babylonian food. And for good measure. Remember, Nebuchadnezzar, he was ruthless. But remember, God showed up. He caused the official to show favor to Daniel and his friends. Aspenaz made a deal with Daniel and Hananiah and Mizael and Azariah to only eat vegetables and drink water for ten days And you can guess how the story ends. When 10 days were up, Daniel and Hananiah and Mizael and Azariah, they were in way better condition than the others. Verse 17 says this: "To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them into his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. The king talked with them, and he found none equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Daniel and his friends lived at a place and in a time that was incredibly hostile toward God. But they chose to live under God rather than under the influence of the culture around them. Rather than running away from culture, they chose to influence it. And God met them right where they were. Culture says, promote yourself. Jesus says, deny yourself. Culture says, take all that you can. And Jesus says, give all that you have. Culture says, hate those who hurt you. Jesus says, love them. And forgive them. Culture says pursue happiness, and Jesus says pursue holiness. Are we going to live under culture or under God? I know that a lot of us are anxious because in just a few days we're going to go to the polls and, and vote for who we want to be president, but keep this in mind regardless of what party holds office, our God still holds the world in his hands. And as the followers of Jesus, we must resolve to live under God. One last idea I just kind of want to leave you with this morning as we close. If, and it's actually the words of Peter, who was living under the tyranny of the Roman Emperor Nero. He said this, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So over the next few days, if you find yourself nervous or unsettled or fearful, remember the words of Peter. Humble yourself under God's mighty hand. He's in control and he's not surprised by anything. And cast all your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. That's a great, I think, reminder for us during this season. And uh, I would encourage you to take Peter's words to heart as you seek to live Under God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for rescuing us from our captivity to sin. Help us to follow Him with all that we have and live firmly under your influence rather than under the influence of our culture. Father, we ask that you will protect us from being conformed to our culture as we seek to transform it for your glory. Father, we ask that you be with our nation as we Go to the polls, and we just pray for those who are elected into office that they will turn their faces toward you and serve in a way that honors you uh, and, and the people that they represent. We love you and pray all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.